you will reign forever. And you have proven that at the cross and in your resurrection, Jesus. And as we focus upon that today, I would ask you, God, to, uh, to, to reach us where we're at. I mean, like, reach our hearts where we're at today. If there's some distractions that have even kept us from really engaging in worship, praise the Lord, Lord, that you are preparing us to hear this word. Wherever we're at, if we're at home watching on the stream or out in the car on the FM transmitter, prepare us to receive what you have for us today. And what a day to be talking about what we will be in John 19 as we go to the cross and look at your suffering. It's a heavy subject, but as we look at it accurately, Lord, we see that it is great news. It is sweet and it is true because you did it for us. And that's what we proclaim today. And because of your victory, you will reign forever. And so, Lord, now do that. Work in our hearts as we reflect on this. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. You guys can be seated. Good morning. How are you? Hey, aren't you blessed, right, to be here? You know, I'm not trying to speak for you. Yes, you can praise the Lord for that. We are blessed for being here. But it's not just about being here. It's about going to the Lord with what we need and what we are going to receive from Him. Let me start with this. It's a question. Have you ever had anyone do something for you that was so kind, so tender-hearted, so amazing that it caused you to like do one of these like, whoa, I cannot believe it. You would do that for me? That sort of feeling. Do you know what I'm saying? Have you ever had someone do something for you that left you speechless? That's really hard to do when you're talking about me, by the way. Leave me speechless? Yeah? Yeah. My wife gets to experience this every day living with me. I told her I was going to say that, and judging by your laughter, I know you realize that's a joke. But think about it, that, that feeling we get when someone does something that almost makes us uncomfortable, it's so kind. It's, it's the kind of reaction that should be associated with our feelings and gratitudes and appreciation toward the great love and sacrifice Jesus has purchased and paid for us. My wife and I were invited over uh, to some acquaintances of ours, uh, their home for a ministry gathering. I won't get into the details of that. But we had anticipated that we were going to have a conversation with this couple because they, they had a surprise for us or something like that. And we didn't really know what to anticipate. And so we went over to their house and they said, because there were many people gathered upstairs, they said, why don't you come downstairs? We have something that we want to ask you. And so we went downstairs and they just said, you know, we have this ministry in which we, we, send, uh, we send pastors and their wives uh, on teaching tours to Israel. And, and we wonder if you have any interest in that. And I was like, wait, what? Wait, what is this ministry? Are, are you, me? You know, what, what qualifies me for this, that sort of thing? They said, you're a pastor. Anyway, and, uh, and, and I just, I remember thinking immediately, you, you do that for me? 
You do that for my wife, especially we, we could do that together, you know, that sort of feeling. And, and I also remember thinking, like, you know, what's the catch? I think that's how we are, isn't it? Like when something is seemingly too good to be true, it's like, what's the catch? And I remember a couple of months later, after I've d- just saying, yes, we, we have interest in doing this, a couple of months later getting a call from him, and he said, have you booked your tickets? And I said, uh, no. No, I haven't. Because maybe in my mind, I just thought, yeah, I'm going to get a call and it's going to be like, it's off. This isn't going to happen. But he's like, you need to do that now. I was like, okay, yes, sir. And, and, and not only that, um, when, and I was thinking, what's the catch? Um, when you do that, um, just give me what the price is and I'll send that to you mail. And within two days, it was there. And I remember thinking to myself, this is, this is for real. This is actually happening. I can't believe someone would do this do this for me. You know the kind of reaction, right? That's what I'm getting at here. You, you get what I'm saying. That should be associated with things that are not necessarily in this life, but things that are eternal. Things that are far greater than a trip. Far greater than things of monetary value. When's the last time you felt so deeply moved or that feeling of gratitude, like you do that for me, that, that you were moved in a way, spiritually speaking, that God would do something like that for you. When's the time, last time you've, you, you've been in worship maybe and you've just been, been speechless? Because you've recognized something deep down inside that, man, God did this. For me, that he would take my place, that he would lay down his life on my behalf for the salvation of my soul. That God would love me so much that he would take upon himself the sins of the world. Maybe a question that we should ask ourselves today is, where does that passion come from? And am I living in that or is it something lacking in my life? And where does that passion come from? Where does it begin? Even that feeling of gratefulness and praise and adoration, is it something that I just kind of have to, kind of have to muster up every Sunday? Is it something that I just have to keep reminding myself, like the little post-it note on my mirror, like just motivational speaking, just like say it over and over and over again, and then maybe I'll really believe and I'll, I'll really have the feelings that I need to have. Where does that passion come from? I want us to be a church. Not about so much feeling. That couldn't be what this is about. But I want us to be a church that is passionate for the gospel. Do you agree? You can safely nod your head. Yeah? (laughs) I want to be a church that's not dispassionate, complacent, or lethargic. I don't want us ever to go through the motions. And by the way, we do go through the motions, right? We do that, right? But I want to be a church that's moved by the things that matter to God. I want to be a church that's moved by what we read here in John 19. Now you can open there if you have the opportunity in your Bibles or on an app, and you can follow along. There's a big section of Scripture that I'm going to read through as we again get reminded of what Jesus has done for us. Reading in Jesus' name, John 19, starting at verse 1. Jesus has now 
uh, been arrested. Remember how he was in the garden praying and with his disciples who fell asleep, by the way, and could not stand watch. He was arrested. He's dragged to a trial. He spent the night in jail. He went on trial. Now he's standing before Pilate. This leader, or governor, who is now about to uh, abuse him and make him pay as the Roman guard would. It says, then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. It's really heavy. Some, by the way, wouldn't even survive this part of the torture. It was intended for that. And the soldiers, it said, twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And arrayed him with a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him with their hands. They're mocking him and ridiculing him. That's what they're doing. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And of all things, he's innocent. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to him, Behold, the man, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Even though he had not done anything. And Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. But they answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. In other words, he blasphemed, and he claims to be God. Now, that would be true, technically, by law, unless he is God, the Son of God. And yet it was overlooked. It was ignored. When Pilate heard this statement, verse 8, he was even more afraid. Why? Because he knew that they were serious. That they were, so to speak, bloodthirsty. So he entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. In other words, how is it you that has, that has brought upon all of these people all that you have? So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know they have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? In other words, like, who do you think you are? Do you know who I am? I have this power over you. And Jesus puts him in his place. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. Therefore, he who has delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Yes, Jesus laid down his life willingly, and Pilate was not the one in authority, at least that much we know for sure today. And so Jesus makes sure he realizes that this authority was given to him from above. I think that's why Pilate is so nervous, because he's starting to sense that this be true. But he keeps giving in to the pressures of the people. From then on, it tells us that he sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. They're manipulating him. 
Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar as if they cared. No, they hated the Romans and the occupation that the Romans had on them. Verse 13, So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha, just so that the reader, not long after this time, would know exactly where this was in Jerusalem. Now it was day, the day of preparation of the Passover, Yes, Jesus was laying down his life the very day that they celebrated the lamb that was slaughtered for the sins of the world. This, of course, being what Jesus would fulfill. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. Now he's mocking them. And they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. And Pilate said to him, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. Now we've come to the epicenter of the story. Think about it. The Son of God, the true and just judge, was judged by fallen judges. Pilate tries to please everyone instead of serving justice. He gives in to the political pressures. An all-powerful God mocked by the people. I think that's what stands out to me in these verses. To further the mockery, he was crowned with thorns. Not to be overlooked. Consider what Genesis 3.17 says. Because of your disobedience, cursed is the ground, thorns it will produce. What does Jesus come out carrying or, or portrayed on his head? The very picture of what sin is. Does that move us? Does it touch a nerve in us? I mean, even if it's the middle of the summer and it's easy to have your head elsewhere and my head elsewhere, right? Does that not touch a nerve within us? You know, sometimes we go through seasons where our our passion, it gets dulled. That's life. And it's certainly not about a feeling, but you know what I'm talking about, like Novocaine in your gums that hides the pain, right? Right? I had to bring that up, didn't I? The dentist. Yep. There are other uses, of course, but that Novocaine, right? Don't you love it when they stick that neat... Okay. I'll I'll stop there. Do you know how Novocaine works, by the way? That stuff you get a shot of at the dentist, it actually blocks the nerves in your body from sending pain signals to your brain. That's what's happening there. It's not if it's actually killing what's there, thankfully... Because you want to use that part that at first makes you not able to talk. You know what I'm talking about? Like you, you can't even speak and then eventually it wears off. But what it's doing is it's just blocking the signal of what the actual reality is. I think it's kind of like that with sin. Whether we're aware of it or not, it's at work. And here we're given a picture in the crucifixion of the reality of sin. If you're tracking with me here, and you're asking the important questions of yourself, not about everyone around you, but of yourself, it's this. Where does my passion go when I don't seem to care? Why don't I care more? How do I get my passion back? 
Maybe the emotion is there, but I struggle with sin, and it hides the fact that what I'm doing to myself is destroying me, and yet I continue in sin. Dispassion, that is a word, comes from a place of rationale. Rationale of sin. It further comes from an outside enemy that blinds us to the truth. Dispassionate means not affected by personal or emotional involvement. So where does passion come from? It comes from the gospel and the true acknowledgement of his sacrifice in my heart, knowing that truth on a personal level. It comes from knowing this personally, not privately, personally. That, that he did it for me. That number one, he suffered on my behalf. Personalizing it. That's really the theme that you may have life in the Gospel of John. That this is for us individually. And therefore, it should be life-changing because He did it for us. That He suffered on my behalf. That secondly, my sin sent Him there. That's why He's on the cross, because my sin sent Him there. Consider what the story of the crucifixion shows us. Think about what picture we're given that I just read of both His suffering, of, of the mocking, and of course, the destruction that led to death. What's the old saying? Let's start here. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Kids, do they still say that in school and stuff? Okay, I'm dating myself a bit there. Maybe? Okay. No answer? Too scared to talk? Okay, that's all right. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's not true at all. No, words hurt. And so do beatings. Christ suffered everything. Psychological humiliation, spiritual humiliation, all of the battles of the evil forces against that of righteousness were at work here. Physical torture. And in that humiliation and in that suffering, what the picture of the cross shows us is that He did that for us. He stood in our place. And it makes me reflect. What I've allowed in my life because of sin is deserving of that. This isn't to beat myself down or try to act like, you know, I, I'm, I'm just terrible. That, that's not the point at all. It's really not about a feeling. It's about admitting that this is true in my life, that I have no power over sin even on my own. That I need a Savior. I need someone to stand in my place. This is what makes this story so wonderful and sweet, dare I say. And what the world, without the Holy Spirit revealing it to yourself, can't understand. How could that be sweet? How can that be good? Because He did it for me. Where do I find the grateful humility and genuine thanksgiving in my heart for Christ's sacrifice? Let's start here. John 15, 13, these words of Jesus. It says this, you probably know it, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friend. 
In other words, what's the greatest possible act of love? What is true love at its very core? It's not a feeling. It's not romance in that sense. It's an action. It's giving oneself. It's selfless. That's love. That's the picture of the cross, that someone would give their life for us. The point is true love is selfless action towards another. It's not about receiving. It's not a feeling. The greatest act is one who would lay down his life. Yes, that's what Jesus has done for me. The trial and execution of Jesus is a picture of God's love for us. Praise the Lord. And it's not only that, it's also a picture of, I've kind of alluded to it before, but it's a picture of the reality of sin. Here's the even heavier part. Sin is a mocker. Sin does hurt. Sin's endgame is to death, destruction, that sort of thing. And there's an adversary that wants to hide this from us and does a really good job at it. That adversary, by the way, is the world. In other words, something broken, something created perfect but broken because of sin. And we're influenced by the world, okay? But it's not only that. There's also something from within. It's called the flesh, right? That I have something within me that doesn't even need to be taught how to rebel, how to sin. We have a little baby at home. We've been taking care of her for a year, and she's just about one years old. And she's in that stage where she's starting to just show, you know, her personality, right? And everything that we have inside of us. And the other day, we're eating, and uh, she discovered that you can throw your food from your high chair. And of course, what we said was, no, 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 don't start doing that, even though we have a dog, and the dog loves it, absolutely loves it. But that uh, evening, she grabbed her food and she went like this. If you're just listening, uh, she's moving her head. And then she went like this. She moved her hand right over the tray. And then she looked at Shelly, my wife. And she went like this. Smile, drop. And then, of all things, she smiled again. It was awesome. I thought it was the cutest thing ever. That's not the point, though. Sin is not cute. But we didn't teach her that. Seriously. Believe it or not, I have not thrown food from the table in a long time. (laughs) Like a long time. We didn't teach her that. There's something within us. There's something in the world. There's also an adversary It's a named adversary, the devil, the evil one, the enemy. And he loves to hide the truth of sin. But here in this picture of the cross, we're given a real picture of what this missing the mark, this sin is. And yet the enemy sells sin, doesn't he? He sells it good. Think about how he sells it. Number one. The enemy sells sin by making it convincing. Convincing. 
How could we be convinced of something so ugly? It's convincing. Proverbs 14, 12 alludes to this. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to destruction. Half of that is the flesh, by the way. It's just like, you know, it, it just feels right. My influences in the world just say, that is right, I'm sure that's right. Something that is the opposite of love, which is hate, can, can feel right, that sort, of, that sort of picture. Sin is convincing. That's how the enemy sells it. Even further than that, secondly, he makes it seem attractive. A little differently than convincing. Sin looks pretty good on us sometimes. He does that with pride. Pride comes from within. It's the picture of like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but this makes me look pretty decent. In fact, it makes me feel like I'm on top of the world, so to speak. And that's why we keep going to it. Like an addiction. We just keep going to it. But it's not true. Because a real picture of sin is what we see in the crucifixion. Something that leads to destruction. And we know it in our hearts because we have shame and guilt and pain from it. It's fun for a moment. Believe me, it's fun for a moment. But it is momentary. The enemy sells sin by making it compelling, by making it attractive. Here's the third thing. He makes it look promising. If you do this, if you do this, you will receive this. And yet all those promises never really come to fruition, do they? Isn't it sad how we can justify and rationalize evil? This is the numbing, the numbing con- condition that we live in in a broken world. This is the Novocaine that that really all it does is mask what's happening to the brain. What a picture of sin. What a picture of sin. Why do I get so fooled into thinking? Why do I continue to struggle with it? We have to come to the recognition that He took my place. We have to come to an understanding personally that there is nothing we can do, no matter how hard we try. Yes, because God continues to pour out His grace in every way possible. That's what the cross shows me. No, it doesn't end at the crucifixion. It doesn't end with all of the mockery and ridicule and pain and agony. As Jesus suffered for me, as He took upon Himself my sin, as He suffered my pain, shame, and even death. As I personalize it, it causes me to be transformed in my outlook. It gives me peace and hope. Peace which means I have been made whole. Hope that tells me that I can have the confidence that even in a future that seems uncertain, there is certainty in Christ. And that transforms the way I see things in this life because of the way I see things that are eternally true rather than the things that are right before me. Constantly distracting me. 
constantly leading me to think things that are untrue. If he has taken my sin, church, this means he has taken my condemnation. If he has taken himself on himself my pain, it means that I am free and at peace with God to live without burden. How's that for good news? This means my status with God means I'm righteous. It's not bad news at all. He's not heavy in that sense at all. Instead, he has taken my condemnation. And therefore, my heart is filled with gratitude that comes from knowing personally that Jesus has taken my place, that he has taken my shame, that he's taken my guilt, that he has forgiven me, that he continues to heal me, and he gives me his righteousness so that I can be in relationship with God. Praise the Lord. It's the greatest news we could ever receive. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, may we receive this personally today in order that it would transform our lives for you. We need this more than ever before. In its place of condemnation, give us your peace. In the place of regret, fill us with your spirit, which in turn leads us to see that our righteousness does not come on our own merit. Instead, it's in Christ. Lord, as now we partake in communion, which remembers your shed blood and your suffering and shame, and your broken body, may we see that it was us who deserved to be in that place, and yet you took it for us. This is where gratitude comes from. That you would do it for me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Lord, may we let go of the things that cause us to distance ourselves from this truth and the lies that we give into that do the same. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.